Imagine being named as the principal pops conductor of the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra just months before a global pandemic hits. You haven't even had the chance to take the stage in front of the orchestra in an audience. Well, that's exactly what happened to today's guest, Byron Stripling. We'll talk to him about his new role, his background, and what he has to say to music educators. That's all today on PMEA's Take Note podcast, presented by the Slippery Rock University Music Department. Welcome to the very first edition of PMEA's Take Note podcast presented by the Slippery Rock University Music Department. We're so glad you're here joining us. This podcast, started by PMEA here in January of 2021, uh, is going to be something that we hope you get a lot out of. We're going to be bringing in guests from uh, all levels of, of music or relation to music in some way. Uh, we hope that it's going to be entertaining and educational for you as music educators and music students here in Pennsylvania. My name is Mark Despotakis. I'm the Director of Public and Government Affairs for the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association, and I'm so excited to be able to be the host of this podcast to be able to bring you some of these great folks that we're going to be talking with uh, and their great stories. And today is certainly no exception, and it's a great first start for us on the podcast. We're, we're talking today with Byron Stripling. Uh, Byron uh, was named as the Principal Pops Conductor of the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. He was named this to this position right before the pandemic started. So he has not been able to actually conduct the orchestra in front of an audience in Pittsburgh at Heinz Hall yet. But that doesn't mean that what he's been doing with the symphony as well as so many other outlets that he works with hasn't happened because it has. He's found a way to certainly make those things happen. Uh, his career uh, spans so many things. He's been on Broadway. Uh, he's, a, he's a talented vocalist. He's a talented trumpet player, uh, does education sessions, uh, and is really just a very inspiring person. We're very excited to share with you our very first guest, Byron Stripling named in what the beginning of January of yes. 2020 yes. as the principal pops conductor of the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. Um, so a couple thoughts, a couple questions, thoughts on that. One, this is uh, pretty big shoes to fill here. Marvin Hamlish being the only other principal pops conductor, uh, he passed in 2012. And um, the search really kind of came on here in the last couple of years. Uh, the pop series, of course, continued, but only the second person named to this. Uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. Well, first of all, Mark, um, uh, thank you for reminding me of that. I had almost forgotten about it in my therapy sessions. We had talked all through it, and I was <laughs> at peace with that. But now you brought it up, so I will probably have to start therapy once again <laughs> to get over the fact the, that there's only been two. So. Here's what we know is that the legacy that Marvin Hamlish uh, left us was unimpeachable. I mean, he, these are, I, I stand on the shoulders of a great giant and I know his music. I've been inspired by his music and who he was as a conductor and a guy that was able to write for Broadway shows. And I mean, his talents were so prolific. Um, so one of the things, and when we worked out on uh, uh, this one in therapy too, is I can't be him. 
right? But I can be a great Byron, but I'm inspired. What we know is that uh, with legacy comes great responsibility. And that means I have the ability to respond to whatever the challenge is. And the challenge is to deliver great music as Marvin did. So I'm thankful, I'm humbled, um, and I'm ready to, to roll, ready to rock and roll, if you will, uh, with, with the orchestra, with the, with the knowledge that the wind is at my back because of Marvin and Hamlish. Well, I, I tell you, we, we are so excited to have you as part of this, the Pittsburgh Symphony community and, and be here to take on that role. Um, you know, a, a quick Google search of you, I mean, really shows how, how really inspiring your work is, not only as an instrumentalist, but a vocalist. You've been on Broadway. Uh, so you bring all of that uh, to, to what the POPs program will do. But to my first point, you were named in January 2020, and then this crazy pandemic hit about two months later. Uh, so you actually have not been on the stage in front of a live audience at Heinz Hall yet. Um, no. So what has this been like for you yeah. in this past year? Um, well, a couple things. I mean, uh, filmmaker Ken Burns remind us that we are in one of the most pivotal times in American history. Uh, the first one being like the Civil War, then we have the Great Depression, then we have World War II, and now this pandemic. And so to try to navigate through this is uh, a difficult thing. And, and we, we, again, we have to take responsibility from that. One of the uh, hallmarks of great leadership is to see things as they are and to tell the truth. That's like, you know, a, a thing that's, that has to happen. You have to tell the truth. And as Jim Collins always talks about, you have to realize the brutal facts of what it is. And so we've done that. And then now we have to see it better than it is. That's the mark of true leadership is that we in our um, brains, you know, the great Albert Einstein, I think said, where there is no vision, the people, no, that's the Bible actually, where there is no vision, the people perish. Einstein, I think said, your imagination is your key to life's coming attractions. We create all of that. That's up to us to create as leaders. And so within that, we accept the reality that we can't perform the way that we always performed and we can't deliver this blessing, which is music to people in the normal way. So what that means to me is that we have to figure out new avenues of connecting with people. So one of the first things that the Pittsburgh Symphony did is how can we do that virtually for people? Uh, the one the thing that I automatically did with other organizations that I, I am the artistic director of is try to figure out how to do that same thing. And that's, uh, you know, again, virtually, but how you compel people. See, the live experience is so important. And the Pittsburgh Symphony has throughout history given this live experience to people and uplifted and inspired their lives. I was in Naples in February performing with the Naples Philharmonic. I have a show called Ella and Louie. And... Uh, uh, Malia was there, the CEO of the um, uh, of the Pittsburgh Symphony, and she said, "Would you come and talk to some of our donors? Because we'll actually be there." I said, "Absolutely." So I'm sitting around a table of these people that absolutely love the Pittsburgh Symphony. I asked them, "What's been some of your most pivotal experiences?" And one of the guys said, um, "Well, I'll tell you, I'm a very religious man, but I have to tell you." my best almost spiritual or religious experiences have been in the concert hall listening to mm. Beethoven and Brahms and Tchaikovsky and all of that. That's what moves me. That's what feeds me. That's what feeds my soul and nurtures me. So 
again, those are live performances. And the live performance is different because when we're all in that hall experiencing that shared experience where we're sitting next to somebody, we might not even know them, but when we leave that concert hall, we've shared that together. And we've gotten the, the, the goosebumps on the back of our necks and, and together. And I believe also that that music that we have in the theater continues to swim around and it's always there, all that great music. So that experience is very important to people. So again, problem, how do we deliver that virtually? And one of the problems that we've had in doing that is that we can't just do a concert like we normally do. We have to integrate story and what's happening maybe backstage, what happens you know, during behind the scenes, all of those things I think are central to that. So that's kind of been the response uh, to marching into a pandemic. You know, there's a saying uh, that uh, when, when, not to get religious, but when, when God wants to give you a gift, he wraps it in a problem, right? So we have to unwrap this problem. And I think that that's a process that we do throughout all of our lives. It's like, how can we unwrap this beautiful gift? And it starts as a problem. Here's what, and if you let, I, I'm sorry for going on for, no, for so no, long, but right. here is what the pandemic and one of the gifts that it's given us. For years, orchestras and even people in educational systems have tried to say, boy, people are getting older. How do we reach them? Symphonies, they do these things where they pay people hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to consult with them. And they come back and go, your audience is getting older. And like, yeah, we know. We paid you a hundred grand for that. But nobody ever had a strategic plan of how to reach because you're you're running on this treadmill of nonprofit, just trying to make and pay the bills. The pandemic forced us to, to reach out virtually to people. And virtually, where are the kids? Where are the young people? They're on the internet 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if we do our job responsibly in reaching out to them, now we have a way to get to them and others. Introduction through that. And by the way, that's not going away. It can't go away when we go back to live performances. That has to be integrated into all we do. But sorry for talking so much. No, 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 that's great. You know, it's funny that you say that because I've heard some uh, groups that have been around for a very long time and, and have this very... Uh, you know, is a very established institution like orchestras, like associations um, ha have somebody summed it up this way. We've all become 100 year old startups. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's and that's and that's exactly what you've just described. And so the, the Pittsburgh Symphony and with and along with so many other uh, symphonies and groups like that around the country have done such an amazing job of doing that. Um, the programming that that you have done with them particularly uh, is kind of a great way to introduce you to Pittsburghers who might not know you uh, and you were out in the community talking stories and you were performing as well. So I thought that was great. But Let's fast forward now. Okay, we talked about last year. Let, let, let's go a little bit in the future. Let's, I hope it's a little bit in the future of uh, when we can actually be in Heinz Hall. It's over my shoulder right there behind me. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been there for uh, over a year now. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I just can't wait to get back in there as I'm sure most people cannot wait to get back into their local concert halls. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Symphony Pop Series. Uh, what are we thinking for when we can get back in person? And I'm not going to ask you to predict a date, uh, but but what what are you looking at as, as you come into this new role? So um, it's again a chance to engage um, people and integrate the orchestra in a way, pops wise. That is my approach to it is probably a little bit different and that I always want the orchestra to be the star. So a lot of times 
the headliner, and it's important to get a headliner, a famous person. Um, you might see, especially as we start, not as many of those because I want people to see that orchestra. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a program now that will be virtual that features members of the orchestra playing solos in a pops thing. So maybe we'll have a beautiful cello solo on uh, Shenandoah, or maybe we'll do Danny Boy and feature a beautiful viola solo on that. And that's gonna be in the context of pop sort of chords and a feeling of popular music more than, you know, an accessible that way, but still the quality of it, you know, because we know, is, as Duke Ellington said, you know, only two kinds of music, the good kind and the other kind, right? <laughs> and so it's important that people can come into the hall and experiences even experience even different genres. So for me, I always talk about the, the PSO, the classical series, and I want everybody to hear Wagner and Mahler and all my favorites. And I want them to know that they can also come in and get a different experience. And so there, I will sort of deliver that through great arrangements and featuring and starring the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. So that's what the future will kind of look like at the beginning. Great, I, I love that. I, okay, I'm like, you sold me. Yeah, it's not just whole notes for, for that's what a pop concert can end up. It can be too yeah. loud and too boisterous trying to put when you put rock in it. And we, you know, because uh, it, it's great. We should do some rock and roll. We'll probably do some kind of Motown show first season, something like that. But it's not going to be like, yeah. It's like those concerts, a lot of times the string players hate because it's like so loud. So how, you know, how, okay, we have technology. Now, how can we work where we can have monitors on there that aren't making people blood come out of the string players ears, right. you know? Right. So it's, it's that what I'm going, what I'm going for. And, and so I, I love how you make the point uh, of, you know, that there, there's a place for this and we have this great symphony here. And so, I mean, we have a world-class symphony yeah. and a lot of folks in, in, you know, Pennsylvania don't realize that. Um, and, and Philadelphia is the same way. It's another world-class symphony. Um, and, and I think that in some ways, the entree there is elevating that, the, the pops version uh, and, and people will fall in love with that and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but so to, to, to your other point, um, I was reading that, that you actually, um, when you were growing up, you loved classical music and that was the area that you, you wanted, uh, to, to spend your life doing. You went to Eastman, Interlochen, right. You know, uh, and then, you know, you've been on Broadway, uh, and here you are doing all this pops work. So I'm, I guess I'm just kind of curious for your background of how you kind of navigated to, to that where you are now, I guess. Sure. Um, well, my father was a classical singer and he was also the choir director. When your father's the choir director, uh, you have to sing in the choir. <laughs> and uh, you actually have to sing whatever they need that Sunday, whether it's soprano, alto, tenor, or bass, that's what you'll be singing. If there's a solo and the solos drops out, you're gonna be singing that solo because your dad can say, you'll be singing this tenor solo on you know Sunday morning. So that, but I didn't, dislike any of that i loved it all you know and you know being in a church that way we were in we actually were in church eight days a week i mean literally it was like all the time but all music stuff i mean when people talk to religion uh, with me i related more to music than i do to anything else because that was my experience uh i also learned uh, you know i don't want to get off topic but how important that music was to the people who attended our churches. Um, that was their home. 
away from work where they might have felt disenfranchised, passed over for jobs, things like that. There was always a place that they could go that they could sing. You know, William James of Harvard said, I sing not because I'm happy, but I'm happy because I sing. And what we know is that the mere act of, and that's what I learned really early, of giving someone a song gives them pre, brings them peace, brings them happiness, right? And so that's what the church was all about, that that Sunday was a chance to get your batteries charged. And they had all these songs that were uplifting, like, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. I ain't going to let nobody turn me around. These are all spirituals. You know, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. I've been buked and I've been scorned. And they were prolific, these spirituals, because they spoke to every aspect of what people were going through. You know, even the one that I always loved, there was a line when I was a kid, it always struck me and said, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. That was profound, you know, heaven, heaven, everybody talking about heaven ain't going to heaven, right? And that, like, as a kid, I was like, yeah, that's got to be true, because some of these people talking about heaven acting crazy and ain't doing the right thing. So this was my sort of intro, but my father also, after he was a classical singer, he sang with the Minnesota Orchestra and other orchestras in Atlanta and, and things, baritone, great solos, the great man. He, I think of him all the time now. He's very ill right now. He's actually in hospice. But if I could be half the man that he was, you know, uh, I always say I am who I am because somebody loved me. And Murtis Jones Stripling and Luther Stripling were the two people, and along with my brother, that was our family. And there was nothing but love there. And a lot of the love came through music. So my parents took me to see Leontine Price and Beverly Sills. They took me to see this great singer, Marian Anderson, not to sing because she was older, but just to hear her speak. And then they took me to the Minnesota Orchestra. And we, we, we drove one time to see the Chicago Symphony. And then I saw you know, the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. And then my father hired the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra to play with our church as we did this Schubert Mass in G. And then he wrote uh, a whole charge for them to play on the gospel stuff that we did too. So this, I grew up with a dad that was really engaged and created his own stuff. And I, you know, if I could just follow that model and be again, half the man that he was. So that was my early life. My father also loved jazz. And so in the midst of hearing all of that, when my dad got home from teaching, he was a college professor too, uh, it was Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and all those bands. And I heard those all the time, uh, as well as classical music, which he played all during the day. But nighttime was that, or it was the Temptations, the Four Tops, or the OJs, or all the Motown music that I learned to love, too. So that's kind of what got me to that place. I get to the Eastman School of Music. I'm playing in orchestras and stuff, but I'm also being drawn to the jazz bands and things like that. As soon as I get there, I get a job in a jazz band. Uh, a professional jazz band as a freshman with a guy named Jeff Tyzik. And he's one of the most prolific uh, currently pops conductors and composers. He became my mentor as a freshman. And I still talk to him, you know, every few days to get inside and, and to understand things a little bit better. So that's how it kind of progressed for me. So I'm um, curious about your, your pre-college music education, your, your in-school music education. What programs did you participate in? What was that like in you know, your K to 12 years? Well, those were uh, amazing, inspiring times for me. Uh, my, first of all, you have to know for me, the superheroes of, of music are the music teachers. They're the first people that inform the population what good music is and they start to train our ears. You know, they help us become listeners. You know, they, they give us the power of listening and they direct our ears into the right place. By the way, they also teach us the discipline of what it takes to become a, a musician. 
that this is not, you're not, when you start playing the trumpet or the clarinet or the flute or the saxophone, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not like, you know, people like, I can do Word and I can do Excel, you know. I learned those on my own too. Um, and it took me like, you know, three, four days and then I got the hang of it. It takes a long time to get a good sound on the trumpet. And when I say people, people always tell me, don't discourage them and tell them it takes a long time. Look, it takes a long time as anything that's worthwhile takes a little bit of time. And part of that is just developing habits, which music taught me about. You know, it says, they always say, first we make our habits and then our habits make us. So form good habits and make those habits your master. And so I learned how to, through studying, you know, music, that if I did things repeatedly, repeatedly, you know, they always say that repetition is the mother of skill. And that's what happens when you practice every single day. First, you learn you have to do it every day. You underline the every day. And then those these things that you have to repeat over and over again. And learning those disciplines uh, were so important. My junior high band director was dedicated to doing this so much. He said, can everybody get here at 7 a.m.? And you know, school started like 8.30 or something. And we're like, yeah, because we'll start a jazz band if you can get here at 7 a.m. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And you know, of course, later I, I, I realized he wasn't getting any extra money for that. The school wasn't like, hey, we'll give you a bunch of money. To do it's like he did it because he loved us and he loved the music. And I think in that order, he loved us. And so we got there three times a week, 7 a.m. I couldn't wait to get there. And because the, they didn't let him put jazz band in the, the right. school schedule. Then the, the, you know, the gift of my life is to go on stage in front of all my friends who always wondered, what the heck are you doing in that band room? Like, why do you like that so much? Because the football coaches see me, I'm big. They're like, hey, you want to be on the football team? No, yeah. I'm playing the trumpet, my man. You know, and then like, they're like, what are you? What is that about? To go out and play for my friends with the concert band or the jazz band, uh, an assembly, was to me like being in heaven to, to share with everybody. And one of the things my band director did, and I encourage band directors to do this, is to take a popular song of the day and arrange it for whatever configuration your band is and play some classical music, play whatever you want and play that tune last. And that's another lasting connection that'll happen for your kids who play in the band, but also the kids who wonder what the heck is going on in the band room. Right. Um, and before I finish, you, can I tell you one story and something that I just think is so important with band? Um, as I said, the band directors are the superheroes. Um, they also save lives. And they don't even know it. Because when I was staying after school, because my band director had sectionals, but he said, if you want to play in any sectional, if you want to play in the clarinet sectional, bring your trumpet, just play your band part and concert band part with us, you'll be fine. So that was home to me. The band room was home. When I went to math uh, class and when I went to you know geometry and all of that stuff, that was not a good time for me. When I walked in the band room, the lights went on. It was like, whoa, this is, I'm home. That's what the band room provides for people. Um, that's what dance provides for people. That the ability to, to move, in that way, I had a friend who, and I have to edit the story so I don't reveal people, but um, his, his t dance teacher knew what was going on at home for him. And that was abuse uh, of all types. And 
his dance teacher said, you know, we have this studio, it was close to his house. We have a dance studio. She said, it's available to you 24 hours a day. Hmm. I give you a key. If you ever want to come up here and dance, if it's three in the morning, whenever you want to come, this dance studio is yours. That saved his life. Yeah. He's now a very famous dancer and he, he, he doesn't or she doesn't tell that story because that's a personal thing. But that saved his life. You know what else saves life? Is when you have band practice after school and you throw a pizza out there, there's people and kids that are eating that pizza and that's their dinner for the night. Yep. So the music is nourishing them. It provides them with the camaraderie of their peers and their friends, the chance to discipline themselves and play great music. And it also provides a little bit of nourishment, which I always encourage people throw a little bit of food out there for people. And we don't have to know who it is. And if they want to wrap it up and take it home, let them wrap it up and take right. it home. Right. Uh, that that message right there, uh, I mean, I think serves to re-inspire music teachers, but also that's something that, that needs to be heard by decision makers. Um, because we are in these times where budgets are going to be tight going into the next school year. Um, because we're trying to keep people safe in schools. So money has to go towards that. But we have to remember uh, that, that we are keeping people safe by doing exactly what, what you're saying. By participation in the arts, you're, you're keeping them emotionally safe. Yes. Um, but then you are potentially doing exactly what you're saying. It's, it's that place for them to go uh, that's so important. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, the, the, the best things in life, so many of them aren't tangible. You can't feel them. You can't touch them. That would be great art. And so one of the toughest things for us to do in this music industry, and especially speaking to, as you call them, the decision makers, it's even tougher if they haven't heard and, and, and felt music on a different kind of level. Right. But what I want them to know, and I'll speak to them for two seconds here, is get yourself in the concert hall and feel that music and open up your heart. Just let it come in. You're not gonna know what it is. You don't know from Beethoven's fifth or anything. You don't know from the, but that song will open up your heart. It's not what, see what we sell in music is invisible, you know? And so since you can't hold it in your hand, you can open up your heart and let that music speak to you, right? And there's people that come to concerts and they cry and they don't know why they're crying. And that's because that's the first time they were reached in that emotional way. You know, my daughter just posted on Twitter today. She says, I finally had this song. She calls it her breakup song. She broke up with somebody. I listened to it today and I don't, I don't cry. So that means I'm getting better. You know, so you can measure so many things in your life with the power of music. And I, I just want to encourage that those decision makers is to listen to great music, soundtrack your life with great music, put it in your car and never let the wheels of your car be turning without something beautiful that playing and getting into your heart, right? And let those emotions come up out of you. And that's what music has to offer you and it will heal you. And that's why music is a part of every major thing that we have in our lives where it's a wedding all the way down to a funeral. 
whether all the beginning of a birth, there's some music somewhere that's going to be a part of that, a relationship. And let that music lift you up because it will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's then being, you're right. It's being aware of that and, and, and it's there, but we just need to, um, let it come in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me go back to the education a bit. So we talked about your education, but I, one of the things that, that I've noted that you do is, uh, you want to help educate others. And you, you know, I think you do that through your programming, um, through interviews that I have seen with you. Um, but you go and you're a clinician, like so many musicians are. Um, we have these great pictures from back in 1994 uh, when you were here at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. Uh, and and so the, here, that's you know how many years ago? Over 20 years ago, right? Uh, uh, and the folks who provided those pictures and who were part of that were still able to speak to, this is what we did, mm -hmm. uh, this is what we performed, and these are the memories that we made there. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the difference that you have made then in, in educating others uh, in situations like that and providing those memories is so evident. Mm. Well, yeah, those, those, that's some of the most important work I do. It's just with 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 younger people, and and it's more than just passing it on. It's it's just who I am. You know, I have to tell you, Mark. If we can get a saxophone in somebody's hand, a trumpet, a trombone, an oboe, then they maybe won't have a gun in their hand. Yeah. We can get people to play some horns together with their friends, rather than joining a gang with their friends. We can bring some people together. But I can't hear complaints from people like, oh, these kids today, everybody needs something to do. Right. And this can be the golden opportunity to have the most positive thing for young people to do. So I want to be a part of that. It's it's who I have, that's I have to do that. That's that's a mission. It's it's ingrained in my heart. It's what lifted me out of being a I was not a great student. Um but my parents taught me two things. You got your music and you also have books. I always loved to read. And, you know, they always say readers are leaders. And my mother put that in my head. So she gave me the autobiography of Malcolm X. And here's a guy that came from nothing uh, that started loving jazz. It was my favorite part of the, the book. And then went on after being incarcerated for drug reuse and all that. Went into the prison library and uplifted himself and read Shakespeare and all these other things and came out and became one of the great spokesmen for civil rights. That's the power of all this stuff. Right. You know, and music is right up, right up there with all, all that. Um, to, to your, to your point there about, you know, we want to get a horn into kids' hands. Um, I think the other piece uh, to go back to a point you made earlier is that find what music speaks to you. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, like I grew up on the Holst Suites and English Folk Song Suite. And that's because that's what I grew up in, in my scholastic music program. And I love that stuff. And that's wonderful. Um, but there's so much out there. That's what spoke to me. Yeah. Motown spoke to you. But that was part of your that was just on in your house. And that's I did. That's wonderful. So it's important for kids to realize whatever speaks to you. That's OK. Yeah. And I think. Even, uh, and, and kids are pretty good about this. They'll find something on uh, iTunes or something. It's like, I don't know what this is, but it's cool. 
right. you know. And my kids, uh, my personal, my two daughters are really my education, my re-education into music. Because I'm stuck in what I have come up with and they push me on to Taylor Swift and, and others. They like these obscure songwriting, guitar playing, singing people that I'd never heard of. And I listen to them like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Right. So what I want to encourage people to do is explore the myriad of possibilities in music. And so many different things will, will you know, my, my wife turned me on to Bob Marley. I'm like, I didn't know what that got. Because when you're a musician, especially in music school, you're like one pointed towards this one. You know, for me, it was classical and jazz. And that was my thing. I didn't listen to any popular music in the 80s and most of the 90s. Because my head was just like mm -hmm. into perfecting my craft on jazz and, and classical and other music. I was starting to do Broadway and all that stuff. And so now I get to be enriched by all the stuff that I missed. And I just want people, again, as I said before, to soundtrack your life, find some stuff that you can go on YouTube. You can go, music is more available now than it ever has been. And so take advantage of that and get out of your comfort zone. Very important, not only in your life, but also with listening to music. The right. comfort zone of music that can lift you up. Find a, listen to gospel music. That's some amazing stuff too. Just hearing people emoting their feelings and their love and their passion through that music. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you make that great point of it's all out there. And I've just thought about folks that I might have started to follow on Twitter or Instagram because I just came up with them somewhere as I liked one thing. And I've learned so much just yeah. from that following. Yeah. Um, so, okay, we are living in uh, very strange times uh, because of the pandemic, as we talked about, uh, as, as it relates to, to your new role, um, but just just in the world, um, and especially in this country right now, we, we are living through a pandemic. We are living through currently um, a political uh, crisis. Uh, and, and in the past year, the, the I don't want to say we're, we've lived through it, but I mean, the, this a racial crisis has been elevated because it certainly it was there before 2020, but it was very elevated in 2020. Um, music and the arts, play into all of that, uh, I think, because it's part of culture. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just curious for your thoughts on where does the arts intersect with all of these, these large things happening in our lives right now? Yeah, well, I mean, first to your point, all the things that happened, especially during the summer, you know, right after we kind of went through February and March, um, and then we see, you know, policemen kneeling on people's necks and things like that. All this stuff was happening at this the, the, at the time. We just didn't wasn't as clear. We were now we were held captive in front of our computer screens and our TV screens, point. and we actually got to see these things that were happening. So the pandemic, another if you want to call it another gift, was it made us realize all these things of, of racial injustice that people were feeling, um, and then the political part of it put into it too because since they sort of um, established the rules of how things are happening. So you get COVID, but you don't have health insurance. And they're saying, oh, we have the greatest healthcare system in the world. Maybe that's true if you can access it. And then they're telling people, well, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But what if you don't have any boots? And a lot of people who worked in the music profession or who weren't uh, considered essential workers making minimum wage, now we consider them essential workers because we can't exist without them. 
So the, the covers were pulled on so many uh, aspects of what was already happening. And I think it, again, if that was the, the gift that forced us to look at ourselves and what is acceptable to us, is it acceptable to see these things? Maybe you see a, a young black man get shot in the back seven times. Is that accept, acceptable to you? And I've heard people say it is, you know? So we got to work with those people <laughs> that think it is. Um, music can provide a bridge to understanding for people. Um, and jazz musicians were, have always been like this. And so when, the great clarinetist Artie Shaw had his big band. Uh, one of the most popular big bands is, you know, a great hit was Begin the Begin. Uh, but he traveled with a, a black singer with an all white band. Her name was Billie Holiday, right? How tough was it to have him do that? Him and people like Benny Goodman, the great clarinet player who established his quartet. And he had Lionel Hampton, a black vibraphone player. And he had Teddy Wilson, a piano player who was also black. Both he and Artie Shaw and other people who hired black musicians as part of their groups would go into concert halls and the promoters wouldn't know sometimes that there were mixed audiences. And they would say, if you're gonna have those black guys play on this concert, then you can't play in this concert hall. And most of the time, these guys would take that financial risk and they'd say, well, then we're not playing. Right. Which is a tough, because you could say, okay, we'll just do a duet bit or something, you know, but we got to make this money. But they made that. And, and when you say that, actually, you say, well, we're going to pull out because the band is who the band is. And the contract says the band is who the band is. Usually they would let them play. They let that King Cole play in Alabama one time and they pulled him off the stage, right? But he, his demand was, I wanted the, the, the black people not sit in the, the top. Now, by the way, I was born when a lot of this stuff was happening. I was born in 1961, you know? So it's not, people think that was way back when. So the musicians have always been central and we can, to, to, to moving progress forward. First of all, we always use our ability to, um, to sort of create songs that told the message, even if we camouflaged it. And sometimes we didn't camouflage it. So Billie Holiday ends up, you know, singing a song called Strange Fruit, which is really about hanging of black men. And we more, know more than 6,000 black men were hung between like, you know, probably the early 1900s all the way through the 40s and, 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 you know, early 50s. There's even a museum that documents and tried to get as many of those names, right? They banned that song, Strange Fruit. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on leaves and blood on the root. We have that song exists and still exists to this day as a testament to the power of art to move people. When I was in Cuba, they have a great uh, dance company there, but Cuba has a lot of issues with, uh, and I've been three times, it's one of my favorite places to go. They have a big issue with gay rights and all that kind of stuff. And so I went to see a dance performance and the first thing they did is they had <laughs> for about, 10 minutes, they had two men dancing together as if they were a couple. 
So artists always have a way of thumbing their nose at what you're telling us we shouldn't be doing. And they have a way of showing the harmony of the whole thing by using music. You know, and finally, it's music that all the spirituals I talked to you about and all the gospel songs uh, that really enabled people to march forward in the civil rights and beyond. It was the songs that they sang, you know, when they said, keep your eyes on the prize and they sang that, that's what got them through the marches where when they would march, people would, there would be dogs biting them and fire hoses. But they asked one lady who was walking in the uh, Montgomery bus boycott. And if you don't remember that boycott, this is where King said, we have to march every single day. We have to stay off of the buses. That means that there were people that had to walk to work because they refused to take a bus. bus. They had to walk an hour to work and an hour back. They also had the most amazing car service that they established all and only through the black community of the car owners, the people that own cars. But those people that had to walk, they say, they asked this one young lady or older lady, she was walking, she was a maid somewhere every day, corns on her feet, shoes, her feet hurt, got to go home and cook dinner even after she gets home. They said, aren't you getting tired? She goes, no, I'm not tired. My feet are tired, but my soul is rested. And her soul was rested because she always had a song in her heart. This is the power of music and what music can do to deliver hope and healing to people through that genre of great music. You know, John Lewis said his, it's one of his famous quotes is um, without music, uh, the civil rights movement would be like right. a bird without wings. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, it's so I think then there's the lesson there is we're going through all of this. Um, you're right. We've seen artists adapt even in, in this time and we will see them continue to adapt yes. um, through, through everything that's happening. Yes. Uh, in the world right now um, with a pandemic on top That's of just it. what we do. I'm actually waiting for the flood of great art that will happen once it's unleashed. Right. I know that there are just currently in their basement now painting. Right. We got to get it out. We do this as artists, not because we want to. We do it because we have to. Right. It's in us and coming, getting it out of us. That's cathartic to us. That's our epiphany is what you see on the canvas, what you hear in your brain from the great music that we play. That's our thing that transforms us and hopefully will transform you as a listener. Byron, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to talk with us today and uh, introducing yourself a little bit to Pennsylvania uh, for those who haven't uh, who haven't seen what you've done. Um, and but we will see a lot more of what you're doing uh, yes. with the Pittsburgh Symphony, not only in some more virtual stuff, but uh, in person. Live and in person. <laughs> soon, yes. yes. We can, I can't wait to be down there in Heinz Hall and see you in person. Oh well, it's a joy to talk to you, Mark. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk. Yeah, absolutely. Many thanks again to Byron for speaking with us today and for all of the inspiration that I hope he provided you because I certainly left that interview feeling extremely inspired. We hope that we'll be able to continue to do that through this new podcast series. We'd like to take one second to thank our sponsors, the Bucknell University Music Department, Lebanon Valley College, and Robert M. Sides Family Music Centers. And of course, our presenting sponsor, the Slippery Rock University Department of Music. 
Thank you all for joining us on this inaugural edition of PMEA's Take Note Podcast, presented by the Slippery Rock University Department of Music. We'll see you next time. Thank you.